Hey, good morning, everybody, and a big welcome uh, to you. Uh, great to be together with you. Good to see you. Welcome uh, everybody here in Waukesha and everybody over in Pewaukee and online. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Hey, today's going to be a great day because we're launching this brand new series called Jesus Is, inspired by a book by a pastor by the name of Judah Smith. Now, if I were to ask you to uh, fill in that blank, uh, you know, we'd probably come up with hundreds of responses because Jesus is the most important figure in all of history. And whether you're curious about him, skeptical about him, entering a relationship with him for the first time, or maybe you followed him for decades, there is always more to discover about the character of Jesus and the impact of his life. Each weekend of this series, we're going to fill in that blank. We're going to complete that sentence in four different ways. We want to help all of us to know Jesus better and because of him to discover a new way uh, to live. Well, I don't know if you realize it, but in uh, 2019, there is a new standard response to the question, how are you? How are you doing? You know, years ago, you know, you asked someone, how you doing? How are you? And, you know, the standard answer would be, you know, I'm good. I'm fine. But nowadays, you ask somebody, how are you doing? And the standard response is, I am so, help me out, busy. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, you, you got it. I'm busy. And if you're really busy, you say, oh, I'm so what? Or I am crazy busy. Yeah, you got it. Uh, busy doesn't convey how busy you actually are. And so we say crazy busy. Now, I thought I found some help. I, I, I picked up this book. It's called uh, Crazy Busy. The subtitle says a mercifully short book about a really big problem. And uh, I was looking forward to uh, reading it. I thought it might help me. But I haven't actually gotten around to reading it because I've been so, yeah, you got it. But here's the weird thing about being busy. I don't know if you've picked up on this vibe or not, but being busy can actually make us feel important. It's almost like there's this status attached to it. We secretly like it when our, our laptop's open, somebody looks over our shoulder and they see that our calendar is packed full. It makes us feel important. Came across this article in the Atlantic magazine entitled, Ugh, I'm so busy, a status symbol for our time. It says, in a curious reversal, aspirational objects, things that we aspire for, are not luxury goods, like a nice watch or a new car, but instead bragging about how busy you are. Wanting to seem busy is how one gains status in a culture that values productivity and busyness above everything else. It's almost like the busier we are, the more that we matter. The busier that we are, the more that we uh, matter. And I have a hunch that many of us like to go hard and be productive and win. And it's good to go hard and be productive and, and win but, and to aspire to that. But at the same time, too much busyness can leave us feeling like something's not right in our soul. It, it leaves us feeling like something is disordered in our soul. And it makes us wonder, is there a better way? Well, here's the good news today. There is a better way. Jesus wants to simplify our life so that life works the way that he designed. And I think today's message is going to be really helpful because while many of us like the status of saying, I'm busy, and we like the results of productivity, what we don't enjoy, what we don't like, and what we need to figure out a cure for are the accompanying emotions of feeling exhausted, dissatisfied, and overwhelmed. And very often, I think what happens, I know I catch myself doing this, 
we blame our busyness on externals. We say, well, that's just the pace of life around here. That's just the demands of my job. Just the season that I'm in right now. Just all the stuff that I have to get done at home. But what if we discovered that it's not so much externals, the problem is internal. The cure is internal. What if the issue is a disordered, distracted, dissatisfied soul? And what if God designed our souls to live and thrive in a very simple and ordered way? You know, it's kind of like the design of this shirt uh, that I'm wearing here. Let me show you the design of this uh, shirt. And uh, I got a t-shirt on. It's all good. Okay. <laughs> You know, some of you are like, no, Ben, don't do that. All right, no, it's all good. This will make sense in, in just, a, uh, uh, in just a, 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 a moment. You know, on work days, I typically uh, get up at uh, between 5.30 and uh, 6 in the, uh, in the morning, and it's dark, and my wife Marnie is still asleep, and so I get dressed in the dark. I don't want to wake her up, and so I get dressed, and I sneak out of there, and then sometimes what happens is I show up at my first uh, meeting uh, looking like this. Yeah, and uh, you know, I like this shirt, but uh, something's off, right? Yeah, something is just a little bit out of order here. And in the same way, when I don't order my soul the way God designed, my life feels like this. Something is just off. And some of us are living our lives uh, this way. And when things, you know, really uh, get out of uh, control, you know, when things are really uh, out of whack, you know, in my life, it looks kind of like this, you know, right here. Yeah. Uh, one, of these, one, uh, one of these kinds of things. You can see where I'm heading with this. Uh, and some of you feel this way in your life. You know, my, my, my marriage, it's just off. My parenting just seems off. Uh, my relationships are off. There's something inside of me. You know, my character, who I want to be, who I say that I am, doesn't match up with who I turn out uh, being, and something's just off inside of me. In some ways, I think this shirt actually uh, illustrates uh, what we're talking about because of its simple design. Life feels off because God designed our soul to thrive in a simple, logical, ordered uh, way. And if we prioritize things, and if we put first things first, if we put Jesus first, everything just falls in place. Everything falls in order and life works. It's interesting to me that if you, if you look at the whole three-year earthly ministry of Jesus, there was really only one time that he explained this concept of simplicity, and it was to a lady friend by the name of Martha. Jesus had hundreds of followers, thousands of followers, but he kept a small inner circle of close friends, and that included Martha and her siblings, Mary, and Lazarus in that inner circle. All three of them supported Jesus and stayed faithful to their friendship with Jesus. And all three of them lived in Bethany, a, a suburb outside of Jerusalem. It still exists today. And from time to time, Jesus stayed with them in, in Bethany because he just valued that friendship so much. When we pick up the story in Luke's gospel, the demands on Jesus keep growing. The more he teaches, I mean, the more people want to hear from him, the more he heals, the more people want healings. The more of, of, of everything he does, the more people want from him, and he becomes increasingly busy. I mean, his life is like 2019 busy. And so occasionally, here's what Jesus would do, and, you know, we would do good to follow his example. He would sometimes, he would just call a timeout, and he would just retreat 
from everything. And that's what Jesus does in our scripture today. He decides to go to Bethany and just hang out for a couple days to refuel in the company of his closest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, and uh, here's how Luke describes this visit. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, you can see the dynamics of the situation unfolding you know, from a mile away. Mary and Martha had not had time to prepare for this visit from Jesus. And so Mary decides, you know what, I'm just going to go with the flow. And she takes a chair and she sits down across from Jesus. And she says something like, I'm so glad that, you know, that you're here. How are you doing? How's life on the road? How the, the Pharisees, you know, are they still causing you trouble? You know, you can tell us. We're your friends. What gets shared in Bethany stays in Bethany. She catches up with him. Meanwhile, Martha busies herself in the kitchen, and she takes on the role of accommodating hostess. She gets some drinks, she makes appetizers, and she starts pulling out her hair, trying to figure out, you know, what in the world am I going to feed Jesus and his disciples? And it starts to grate on her that Mary lounges in the other room, catching up with Jesus. And so Martha snaps. I mean, she is ticked. She loses it. And she's probably given some cues along the way to try to get her sister to give her a hand with the food. Maybe she peeked around the corner, you know, at uh, Mary. You know, maybe she did one of these, you know, like, you know, Mary, get in here, you know, and help me. And then she probably started dropping some pans in the, in the kitchen, you know, like, like uh, uh, things are happening in the kitchen. You know, Mary, maybe you should be in here, you know, too. Now, we don't know if Mary missed or chose to ignore these uh, hints from Martha. But finally, Martha leaves the kitchen and uh, she bursts into the family room and interrupts the conversation. And I want you to notice something. She doesn't address Mary. No, no, no. She goes straight for Jesus. And she says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? I mean, the irony is thick in this room. She asked the God of the universe, the one who left the awesomeness of heaven and took on human flesh to come to earth, Lord, don't you care? I mean, he's the one who's traveled to serve and teach and heal people until he's exhausted. He's the one who's going to spread his arms on a cross and bleed to redeem the world. And she says, Lord, don't you care? But rather than saying, don't talk to me that way, I'm the son of God, they're friends. And I can, I, can, I can see Jesus looking at her because he knows Martha, and he knows that Martha is like, probably like many of us here. And he just says two words. He says her name twice, Martha, Martha. It's not Marsha, Marsha. Okay, don't, don't, don't go there. Martha, Martha. In other words, take it easy. Take a chill pill. And then with genuine kindness, he makes an observation. He says this. He says, hey, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things because he can tell that she's overwhelmed, overextended, and exhausted from, from staying too busy for too long. 
And it is beginning to do damage in her from the inside out. Can anybody relate? Jesus invites her to take a couple deep breaths. He says, so many things are occupying your mind right now. He says, they're churning inside of you. And they're stealing this moment from you. And they're taking it from all of us. Ask yourself this question. What's occupying your mind right now? What's churning inside of you, stealing the very best moments? Reminds me of a friend in, in my life. He's, a, he's kind of a mentor in, in, in my life. He's a retired pastor. He's in his early 70s. And uh, every year he chooses a word he thinks God is leading him to really focus on for that year. And for 2019, he chose this word, moment. He doesn't want to miss a moment. He says, we'll never live this day again. I want to I make the most of every moment And that's what Jesus said to Martha. I picture Jesus taking advantage of a teachable moment with everybody in the room. And he says, Martha, let me simplify things for you. You know, when I come by your house, when I stop by your house here in Bethany, I'm not stopping by for the food. I mean, I could arrange a five-star meal, you know, any place, anywhere. I I recently fed 5,000 people, which is two fish and five loaves. And, you know, I can can make a really good Chardonnay. You know, I did that one time for a, a, a wedding. I can arrange food and drink anytime, any place. When I stop by to visit, I'm stopping by for friendship, for connection, to be with you. I come here for the life-giving friendship. And then Jesus tells Martha something that I know I need to hear. Maybe you need to hear it too. He says this in verse 42. He says, hey, Martha, few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Jesus says there's one priority in life. There's one point to, to life, and Martha missed what mattered most, but Mary got it right. See, what mattered most was not getting it all done. What mattered most was not being productive. What mattered most was not checking everything off on the list. What mattered most was sitting down and having a conversation with Jesus. What mattered most was sitting down And having a conversation with Jesus. Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. In other words, Jesus says, I'm not going to send Mary into the kitchen to do a dozen things that really don't matter in in the big picture. And by affirming uh, Mary's choice, he invited Martha to put down her spoon and follow her sister's example. How about you? Does your heart and your mind long for the antidote for the, for the busyness and the drivenness in, in your life. You know, the antidote is not getting it all done in the kitchen or getting it all done in the office or at the store. The antidote is leaving that stuff, sometimes undone, to sit down for an unhurried conversation with Jesus. But it's easy to miss that, isn't it? I mean, we often get so wrapped up in our own stuff, even good things, that we crowd out just being with God. We crowd out being with God's people who he has graced us with in our life and, and, and just being who God called us to be. And here's the result when that happens. We lack joy and something gets stolen from our soul. Here's the uh, truth about me. I like to uh, go hard and be productive and, and go full speed ahead. I remember when I first started working as a pastor, I, uh, I didn't prioritize. I said yes to everything and I never delegated I tried to just kind of do everything on my uh, on my uh, own and and then I started taking uh, uh, graduate classes on my day off I drove a hundred miles each way 
did this for a couple of years and all the reading and homework on top of that. And then we had a, a baby at home. We were new parents. I'll tell you, left to my devices, <laughs> this is how I tend to live my life. I remember I started having like a pain in my abdomen. It felt like a knife, a stabbing pain. And I was afraid to go to the doctor because I thought it might be something bad. But finally, I had to go, and it took the doctor about 30 seconds, and he told me, you have an ulcer. You have a stomach ulcer. And here's the weird part. Here's the dark part about me. A part of me was not really embarrassed by my behavior, by my busyness, because there's a part of me that takes some pride in how hard I can go and how tough I am and how busy I can get and still survive. But I desperately need to listen to Jesus when he shows up in my life and says, Ben, Ben, you're trying to do so many things, but few things are needed, indeed, only one. Because if I don't listen, my life ends up looking like this. You know, I end up with a distracted, dissatisfied, disordered soul. Now, if that's not enough motivation for you, let me remind you what is at stake, because what we're talking about is not just something that affects you. It's not just bad for you. It's bad for the people around you. Living like this, it's bad for my uh, marriage. I mean, who wants to be married to a guy who dresses like this, All right? I don't have time or space for real friendship, for real intimacy, and it's not good for my family. You can't be a good mom or a good dad. Because what your kids need most is you. And for some of us, even when we're present, we're not really present. And I'm not the kind of friend that I need to be when my life looks like this. I treat other people, I treat friends like they're just a, another item on my uh, to-do list. And nobody likes to be treated that way. And many of us in this room are in leadership roles where you oversee and you influence other people in church, at work, at home, in the community. And understand that when you live as a leader, and, you, and you, you live like this, it makes you less effective because you reproduce in other people who you are, your character, your behavior. And do you want the people that you love the most to go, oh, oh yeah, that's how I'm supposed to live my life. See, so much is at stake. And so I want to challenge all of us. Let's commit to living our lives in a simple, ordered, logical way that God uh, designed, putting first things first, because guess what happens? If you put first things first, if you put God first, if you put Jesus first in your life, here's what happens. Everything falls in order. Everything falls in place and works because he is the point of life. Now, for some of us, what I'm going to challenge you to do might be familiar, and you just need to do it. Instead of saying, oh, yeah, I know that. No, you, you need to do it. For others of you, it's going to be brand new, but I want, I want you to take this on. Here's the first challenge. If you're going to live with a satisfied soul, with an ordered soul, here's the first challenge. The first step when you decide to follow Jesus is baptism. In baptism, you put first things first. In baptism, you declare, Jesus is number one in my life. Jesus is is the focal point of my life. It reminds me of our, of our home. We moved into a, a home, a new home, about 18 months ago. It was an older home. And my wife began a process of redecorating and doing some renovating. And I learned something. I didn't know that every room in a house has a focal point. Whether you like it or not, every room has a focal point. It might be the TV, 
might be a fireplace, might be a piece of artwork, it might be a window with a beautiful view. Every room has a focal point. And having a focal point helps you simplify and declutter and make the most out of the space because if a piece of furniture distracts from a focal point, it may need to go. You want to arrange everything around the focal point of the room. And in baptism, we declare Jesus is now the focal point of our life. We're going to arrange our life around following him, and it helps you live a simpler, more fulfilling and satisfying life. And baptism itself is real simple and, and beautiful. You don't have to wait until you uh, learn more about the Bible. You don't have to wait and take a class. You don't have to wait until you get your life cleaned up. There's only one requirement for baptism, and here it is. You simply believe that Jesus died on a cross and resurrected from a grave. In the New Testament, when people came to faith in Jesus, they didn't put this off, and here's why. Because Jesus commanded it, and people made baptism their first priority when they made the decision to follow uh, Jesus. Uh, We're planning to have baptisms in, in two weeks, coming up on April 6th and uh, seventh during all services at, at both uh, campuses. And uh, if, if you'd like to be uh, baptized or if you'd like to find out more about it, just uh, fill out the uh, welcome card. There's a box that says uh, find out more about uh, baptism. And uh, you can drop that off at the Connect Wall after the service. If you have any questions, there'll be someone at the Connect Wall that would love to uh, talk to you. you. You can go ahead and fill that out right now. Uh, first things first. If you're online, I think your host is going to post a link where you can fill this out electronically. Baptism is the first step. And then second challenge, first thing each day, spend time with God. First thing each day, spend time with God, and here's what happens. It changes the rest of your day. You know, if you're like me, when you wake up in the morning, you wake up like Martha, and you think about all these things that I have to get done today. We have this tendency, I think, to to, uh, wake up like Martha, but we need to respond like Mary, if we want to live with a satisfied, well-ordered soul. And so first thing each day, spend time with God. Try it for 10 minutes. Do an experiment this week. Here's how you do it. Let me, let me give you some specific ways you can do this. Number one, find a place. If you want to spend time with God, find a good place for you. Maybe that's a, a chair, favorite chair in the living room. Maybe it's a special spot at the dining room table. Maybe it's at your favorite coffee shop or the office. For me, The place is not so much a physical place, it's my journal. And my journal's on my laptop, and so my laptop goes with me, and that becomes my place to be with God. I write out my prayers and talk to God through my journal. Find a place, and then second, pray. Talk to God. Tell him about your day. Tell him what you're concerned about. Tell him what has you preoccupied. Just talk to him and ask him for what you need. And then leave a little space and Quiet down and see if God maybe brings something to your mind, almost like he's talking back to you. And then third, include this, reflect on scripture. It's a great source of wisdom. Just like the story of Mary and Martha challenges our busyness. The Bible consistently calls us out of the cycle of busyness. We need this guidance. And it comes from reading and reflecting on scripture. In fact, we've got a reading plan that we'd like to give to you. It's it's on a bookmark. You can pick this up at the Connect Wall. And we're, we're just calling it the Jesus is reading plan. And, and, and because Monday, uh, beginning Monday, there's 28 days to lead up to Easter. Matthew's gospel has 28 chapters. And so we're going to read a chapter 
a day. You can pick one of these up and, and, and get started uh, on this uh, reading plan. I'll tell you something that helps me after I spend time in the morning with God. I like to take out a three by five uh, index card. And on one side of it, I write down maybe four, five, six key things I want to get done that day. And it helps me. I don't know if your job, your work is like mine, but I could work endlessly. I mean, there's always more to do. And it really helps me to make a list. And that list becomes the finish line for, for that day. Uh, it helps me to create a finish line for work that day. And I like to make that list after I pray and ask God for his help and guidance. And so if, if you're going to live each day with a well-ordered soul, a satisfied soul, first step is baptism. And then first thing each day, spend time with God. And then here's the third challenge. First priority each weekend, gather with God's people. Decide you're going to gather and celebrate with God's people here on the weekend. Now, you already did this one uh, today because you, you showed up. And uh, you're here today, so good for you. And uh, I'll tell you what, why don't you turn to somebody uh, and give them a high five, give them a fist bump, and say, uh, you know, nicely done. You nailed it. All right, way to go. God's people. God's people have always gathered together on the weekend. I mean, in the Old Testament, they would gather on Saturday, and they called it the Sabbath day. In the New Testament, they moved the gathering to Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I don't think it matters if we gather on Saturday or Sunday. What matters is that you make a habit of gathering with God's people every weekend for worship and inspiration and teaching before you, you begin a new week. For the next four weeks, we're going to continue the series, Jesus Is, and we're going to learn more about the character of Jesus and discover a new way of, of living. I want, to, I want to challenge you to come back for the next four weeks and see, see what God begins to do in, in your soul. In fact, let me, let me see a show of hands. How many of you will um, commit to doing your best to be here uh, over the next uh, four weeks? Not a promise. Uh, but just a, a commitment to do your best uh, to be here. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. I really want to encourage you to be here next weekend. Next weekend is really I exciting. We're, we're overdue for this. Uh, River Glen has always been a church planting church. And uh, from day one, we have, we've helped plant churches around Milwaukee and uh, beyond. And uh, we've wanted to do this for a long time. We're finally going to do it next weekend. Most of the, uh, of the uh, uh, church planters, the pastors, are going to be here. Uh, for the service, and we're going to have them come up on stage. We're going to pray for them. They're going to be in the lobby after the service. Uh, you can, you can uh, meet them. Uh, Brandon and Danielle, many, many of you know, know them. They'll be here. Uh, don't miss it. It's going to be really inspirational. God fills our soul when we gather on the weekends uh, to, to celebrate with his, his people. Remember, the antidote to busyness, it requires more than, you know, uh, reordering your schedule, restructuring your schedule. It requires reordering your soul. And so first step, when you decide to follow Jesus, first step is baptism. First thing each day, spend time with God. First priority each weekend, gather with God's people to celebrate. I want to conclude with a story John Ortberg told in his book, Soul Keeping. He talked about this period of life, this period of life when he uh, took a job in Chicago, a very uh, demanding uh, job. And it also just happened to be a very demanding season in his family. His family was in this van driving, soccer playing, homework every night, season of life that many of us are in. 
And so before he moved to Chicago, he called a wise friend to ask for some spiritual direction. He described the pace of his life, and he he asked his friend, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? And there's this long pause. And then his friend speaks and says, John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then another pregnant long pause. Finally, John says, okay, I wrote that one down. That's a good one. What else is there? Ortberg admits, I had a lot of things to do, and it was a long-distance call, and so I was anxious to cram as many units of spiritual wisdom into the least amount of time possible. And his friend tortures him with more silence. And then his friend says, John, there's nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hangs up the phone. Reflecting on that conversation, Ortberg wrote these words, I've concluded that my life and the well-being of the people I serve depends on following that prescription. For hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry destroys soul. How about you? Is is, is there something not right in your soul? It's it's time to to choose what what is better. It's, it's time to put first things first. That's why we take communion each week. Communion helps us prioritize. Communion allows us to take a moment and pause and remember that Jesus loves us so much that he went to a cross to pay for our sins so that he could have a close personal relationship with each one of us. These next few moments provide a great opportunity to bring our hurried souls to Jesus, to relax and simplify by making him our focal point. Let me pray for us. God, we came from you. You you created us and our souls find wholeness and satisfaction when we make you our focal point. God, save us from the lie that the busier we are, the more we matter. Help us to order our lives around you. Father, I ask that for every one of us, myself included, Every day, give us the courage and discipline to start each day with you, spending time with you. And each weekend, give us the courage and discipline to gather with you and your people to order and fill our souls around you. And God, I pray for those of us who have come to faith but have yet to, make, to take the step of baptism. Give them the, the courage to take this important step. And God, thank you that we can share communion together declaring that Jesus is our focal point. And it's in his name I pray, amen.